You're listening to the podcast of East River Park Christian Church. If you'd like to find out more information about the church or donate to this ministry, please visit us at eastriverpark.church. We pray that this is an encouragement to you as you grow in Christ through the local church. I tried to fight it. The sound of, of rolling waves and warmed water and air washed over me. Eyelids closed and shot open. Slowly closed and shot open. I didn't get much sleep in those days. Mostly from my own doing, it had been a long morning. I tried to fight it and finally lost into a deep sleep, a warm and cozy slumber. It started with a whisper. The space between sleep and awake, just a, a whisper that got louder and louder. And finally, my eyes shot back open, and I was thrown back into my reality, and there I was, sitting in a lawn chair by the side of the pool, Lifeguard buoy in hand, lap swimmers going back and forth. And I noticed the man standing next to me, looking down to say, did you have a nice nap? Now, to be honest, my boss was not too thrilled uh, with my brief nap that afternoon. And thankfully, no one died. Uh, thankfully, no one went under the water and didn't come back up. Thankfully, my boss, he showed me a lot of grace uh, that, that day, but, but I had one job to do, and I failed. And out of all the things you can't do as a lifeguard, you, like, you absolutely can't fall asleep on the job. I had one very important job, and I failed. And sure, I, I know it's a, a distant memory, but that like not doing that one thing, it really could have cost someone their life. Not, not doing that one thing, it, it could have ruined the rest of my life. So here's the simple truth. There is one thing that is necessary as a follower of Christ. One thing. One thing you can't get wrong. One thing you can't miss. One thing you cannot be too busy for. There is one thing that if you don't make the primary thing of your life, well, it could very well cost your own soul and maybe even those souls of those that you love. One thing. It's that serious. There's one thing that is necessary. Let me show us from the Word what that is. We'll be in Luke 10. If you have a digital Bible, I'll read out of the ESV. If you have a bulletin, all of the main passage is there. But before we look at our passage this morning, let's pray together. God, we uh, come before you and we, we plead that we would feel the weight of what you're trying to say this morning. The things that you're trying to get into our heart and our mind. One thing. 
It's one thing that's necessary. And, and as we've been praying every week, God, forgive us for the thousand other things that we think are necessary. And those thousand other things, we, we miss the, the primary thing. So God, we, we pray for the seriousness of this moment, the, the seriousness of this narrative, and the authority of your word. God, show us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, how we need to, to schedule our life. And we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. So we spent the past two Sundays looking at the Gospel of Matthew. Today and the next Sunday, we'll move on to the Gospel of Luke. And unlike Matthew, Luke actually never physically met Jesus. Luke was a physician by trade, which is why his Gospel account is written with such detail. He was a physician a travel companion of the Apostle Paul. You can see that reference in Colossians 4, verse 14. And Luke wrote his gospel account and the book of Acts, both of which are written to Theophilus, Theophilus meaning friend of God. And so we have this, this very detailed account of the life and ministry of Christ Jesus. And so as we enter the passage this morning, we're confronted with this, this narrative that's sandwiched in the middle of two of the most really well-known narratives of the New Testament. All right, you, you don't even have to be a Christian to have heard of these two narratives. So Luke 10, 25-37 is the story of the Good Samaritan. Luke 11, 1-4 is the story of the Lord's Prayer, both of which are, are, are deeply rooted in our culture, but our, our focus this morning is a detached story that happens in the space between. And scholars have tried to make a connection between these accounts. Personally, I believe this one just really stands on its own. It's the story of hospitality, the story of a gathering between friends, a story that reveals the one primary necessary thing in our life. This is Luke 10. We'll start in verse 38. Verse 38 says, Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house, and she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious, troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. And Mary, Mary's chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Why shouldn't we be so anxious is the question. The question that we have asked every week, a question that might guide our heart in this topic of anxiety, a question that might show our desperate need for Christ Jesus every single hour, a question that might cause us to make serious changes in our lives. Because if, like, if y'all only come to church to fill your bellies with the Bible, but never actually make any changes to look more like Christ, well then, honestly, this is all just a big waste of your time. The goal of this study isn't to learn some new things about anxiety. It's about changing our hearts. So the Holy Spirit might be removing those self-destructive things in our heart. 
So again, the question is, why shouldn't we be so anxious? I gave you five answers so far. One, because our life is more than things. Because our life, or because we're more valuable than birds, because we can't add time to our life, because God has been revealed to us, because Christ will give rest to our weary souls. And today, I'm going to go ahead and give you the sixth answer. And if you're a bummed note taker, I promise you there's more points than what's listed in your bulletin. We'll get there. But why shouldn't we be so anxious? Let me give you point six. Because there is one thing that's necessary in this life. Simple as that. Looking at our main passage this morning, verse 38 says, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And then the beginning of verse 39, and she had a a sister called Mary. Now, if we stop and take a look at some contextual clues, we'll find out where Jesus is going with the help of John's gospel. So we know that, that Mary and Martha are sisters. That's clear in the text. But we also find out that they have a brother named Lazarus, and they're from a town called Bethany. So this is John 11.1. 1. Now, a, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha, And then later in Luke 19, we get more more information on where that's actually located. Luke 19, starting verse 28. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethany, the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples. So Bethany, a town located on the Mount of Olives, eastern slope. So it's about two miles east of Jerusalem. I have a map. I have Guys, we haven't done a map in a while, so let's, let's show the map. Um, Bethany, a town with three of Jesus' closest friends. Bethany, a town where Lazarus was raised from the dead. Bethany, the home of Martha. That's our setting of our account today. And to be fair, the rest of the story is pretty straightforward. The rest of the story leaves little up for confusion. Verse 39, she has a sister named Mary... Mary was the one that sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. All right. Um, you know, I don't really love English grammar. I don't, is there any people here this morning that just love grammar? Thank you. All right, there was like three of you, and I think they were all teachers um, or teacher background. Um, I don't love it. I've never been great at it, but if you want to know the New Testament, Uh, New Testament Greek, you better understand grammar. And that word listening found in verse 39 is what is called a durative perfect. So it carries this idea of continual listening, which adds more to the action found in Mary. Mary's not listening to the teaching or literally his word just one time. Mary isn't checking in and out. Mary is sitting at the Lord's feet and listening and listening and listening to the words of Christ Jesus. That's an incredibly important truth to burn into our brain as we continue this morning. Mary is continually listening to the words of Jesus. All right, what what about her sister? Where's Martha? I mean, after all, this is her house. Where's the hostess of the mostess? Verse 40. Verse 40 says that She was distracted. That word carefully 
chosen, she was distracted with much serving. You know, at first glance, um, she's doing everything she's supposed to be doing. And I'd say hospitality seems to be kind of a lost art in 2023. We don't often, but we should, invite people into our homes, invite people into our living space, invite people into our family, and serve them and feed them and love them and show them what it means to follow Christ. And if I can be honest, I think East River Park needs to grow in that area. Your home, as much as as you're able, should be a place of ministry, a place of evangelism, a place of shelter in this harsh world that we're living in. So for all intended purposes, God bless Martha. She opened her home. She's playing excellent host. She's serving. By all appearances here, she's killing it. So she's doing what she needs to be doing. The only problem is that this isn't some dinner party with a roast that takes three hours to braise. This isn't an evening with a few awkward co-workers know the Lord. Luke, Luke uses that title on purpose. The Lord has entered the house. And when the Lord enters the house, well, the purpose changes. Martha gets it. She just doesn't get it. I mean, how, how dare her sister just sit there and do nothing? Does she not know who the guest is in this house? Does she not care that, that her sisters have to do all the work? So verse 40, we have a confrontation. You would think it would be a, a sister confronting a sister. But just like a typical sibling, someone has to stir up some family drama. So in what appears to be a completely passive-aggressive move in front of Mary, Martha confronts Jesus and says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Now, I've got no proof, but I'm 99% certain Martha was expecting Jesus to shoot back with Mary. Get up. Your sister's right. We can do this another time. But again, the Lord is not reactionary. The Lord always responds to what is swimming in your heart. Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things. But there's one thing. One thing is necessary, and Mary's chosen the good portion, and I'll not be taken away from her. And I can only imagine the wave of emotions flowing through Martha hearing those words. Anxious? Yeah, he's right. Troubled? About many things? He's right. My sister chose the good portion. My sister made the right choice. He's right. Friends, the exhortation is simple. There is only one thing that is necessary in this life. And simply that one thing is to sit at the feet of Jesus and to continually listen to his word. That's what's necessary. And why do we struggle with that one? Jesus is not saying, 
stop serving your family, and join 10 Bible studies each week. Jesus is not saying ignore your spouse and buy some commentaries. Jesus is not saying quit your job and memorize a good study Bible. The emphasis here is priority because if, if I was going to swing in the dark here, which isn't really the dark because I know how fickle we can all be, including myself, but if I was going to make an educated guess here, the greatest cause of our anxiety is the inability to stop what we're doing and to really listen to God's word. That's literally the indictment of verse 41. The greatest cause of your anxiety is that you're so anxious and troubled by many things, you don't have time to stop and listen to God's word. So I'm going to ask the question for some self-reflection, a question Martha should have asked herself that day in the house. A question that I believe I've asked before, what do you and I value the most? Because you always have enough time to do exactly what you value. And I'll say that again, and just, just in case we're trying to play victim in our minds, you and I have just enough time to do exactly what we value. And in that moment, Martha valued a thousand other things that fueled her anxiety rather than the value of listening to the Lord. Martha made a, a valued decision, and then Jesus called her on it. What should you and I value the most? Well, the Lord tells us, and Mary shows us, listen to the Word of God. And you know what? That's, that's just so much easier said than done. Life's not easy. So many things demand our attention. This, I mean, this book, it, it's not a simple book to read. So even if we were to value God's Word, how do we approach God's Word? How do we live a life that resembles Mary in Luke eleven thirty-eight through 42 Well, let me give us three values to approach God's Word. So in case you were bummed that there was just too much space in your notes, I got, I got some more for us here. So that's your title here, Three Values to Approach God's Word. Three values that are confirmed in the narrative today, three values confirmed throughout our Bibles. Let me give you letter A. Value teaching over entertainment. It's quite obvious in the text, Jesus didn't show up to be a party clown. Jesus didn't show up at the home of Martha to do some magic tricks. There's literally no circus happening here in our Bible. Mary is not expecting to be entertained. Mary wants to hear from the Word. She, she sits at the feet of the Lord and, and listens. So let me be really blunt. Is that what we want? Why do you come to this church? Did you start attending because there were some people you connected with? That's not bad. Do you attend every week because the preaching seems meaningful to you? That's not bad. But our resounding answer for being here on Sunday morning is to hear from the book. 
We want to hear what God has to say. We want to hear what the word, how the word is explained. That's our answer. Like, I'm not raising my family in East Tennessee so I could put on a weekly show for you. This is not a performance. This is not a TED Talk. This is a broken man from Kentucky that had his soul redeemed by Christ, just doing his best to point us to the Scriptures. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about the stories I tell. It's not, uh, not about some one-liners I give. It's not about the events that we host. It's not about the programs we offer. It's about Christ and His Word. That's the one thing that's necessary. And if everything in this church burns to the ground, we'll still gather around the book on Sunday mornings. That's why this church exists. Do we need to be entertained before we can pay attention to the Bible? God help us. So I'm hesitant to mention this because I know it might offend people and in the wrong way. But some churches um, will host what is called Church at the Movies. And it's a, a series that, that's themed around popular movies of our day. And one church that will not be named um, hosted Church at the Movies this summer. And I watched Uh, a clip of the pastor dressed up like Woody and his wife dressed up like Little Bo Peep, and they laughed on stage and set up the service for an entire message built off the Toy Story movie, Free Popcorn Included. So look, I'm not saying we can't be fun and silly. I'm not saying we can't laugh on Sunday mornings. I'm not saying those leaders aren't solid Christ followers. I bet they are. I'm not saying God didn't use that series of mighty ways, but church, what you win them with is what you will keep them with. So you, if you need to be continually entertained to continually listen to Jesus, that's not the call of the gospel or the Bible. So the Bible's like, it's only boring if the Bible's just not fully taught. And I'd say this is probably the biggest one. The Bible's only boring when people need entertainment before they can listen to the Bible. It's the warning of the Apostle Paul to a young preacher named Timothy. 2 Timothy 4, starting in verse 1. Uh, verse one, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing in His kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Repro- reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. The time's coming. Time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Do we value sound teaching from God's Word, or do we just want to be entertained? Three values to approach God's Word. Let me give you letter B. Value listening over speaking. You know, let's just take a wild guess this morning. Who didn't say a single word in Luke 11, 38 through 42? It was Mary. Martha has something to say. Jesus has something to say, and for good reason. But Mary? Silence. No dialogue from her in this account. Just quietly listening to the Lord. 
The internet has given everyone in the world a chance to run their mouth. Men and women that wouldn't dare say certain things in public have now become keyboard warriors to every single world event. Like there's no shortage of opinions these days. And I'd say there's, to be fair, like there's no shortage of pressure to have opinions on things we don't even understand. Everyone has got something to say about everything. And the Bible's just not asking us to do that. Being a faithful Christian doesn't mean you have to speak on every issue that hits the headlines. We don't need to be political experts and medical experts and climate experts and social justice experts all at the same time. We don't have to speak publicly or privately on every single issue. The world has enough opinions from people that don't even know what they're talking about. The greatest call of the Bible is to listen to Christ and then speak Christ. It's James 1. I'll start in verse 16. Don't be deceived. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits in his creatures. Verse 19, know this. My beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of the man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, is referencing the word of truth from James 1.18. Like Mary... Be quick to listen to the word of God and slow to speak, slow to anger. And maybe that's why Mary didn't snap back at her sister. Actively living out these truths. Do we value being quick to listen to God's word? Because the truth is, and we talk about it a lot, no one talks to you more than you. Like, no wonder our minds are so full of anxiety. We value self-talk more than listening to God's Word. Do you not see it? That, the, that, that anxiety does not exist. It, it absolutely does not exist without first talking to yourself. Martha was anxious because she's having inner dialogue about all the things that need to be done. That my anxiety is just self-talk about things I think I have control over, but really don't. Do you not see it? Do you not feel that? Stop speaking hypothetical, false realities to yourself that only breed anxiety. Start listening to what God's Word has to say. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, even to yourself. Three values to approach God's word. Let me give you the last one. C, value obedience over sacrifice. I mean, uh, truly, the most obvious thing we see in the passage. Sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. Everything must be perfect. Everything must be cleaned. Everything must be organized. Service, service, service. I, I bet 
Martha is a little annoyed that she also can't sit at the Lord's feet. I bet she feels a little annoyed that she thinks she doesn't have time for that with all the things that need to be done. I bet Martha is expecting a pat on the back from the Lord. Martha. Martha, Mary chose the good portion. I'm not taking that from her. Friends, sacrifice is not the obedience. Obedience to listen to God's Word is the obedience. It's the scene from 1 Samuel 15. You're like, man, we still doing 1 Samuel? Yeah, we are, and we will finish it um, here in the next few weeks. But the people of God are told to completely destroy the Amalekites. What do they do? Well, they keep some of the spoil and the sacrifice, the best to the Lord. And again, that's, like, that's not what the Lord told them to do. 1 Samuel 15, verse 21, But the people took of the spoil, the sheep and the oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Has the, has the Lord as great delights in burnt offerings and sacrifices? as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, to listen than the fat of the rams. For rebellion is the sin of divination, presumption is as iniquity and idolatry, because you have rejected the word of the Lord. He also rejected you from being king. To listen and obey the voice of the Lord is better than serving 100 hours a week in the local church. Why? Well, because you can sacrifice with a sinful heart, but you can't listen and obey the voice of the Lord with a sinful heart. Listening and obeying reveals the motivation of your life. So you can't serve your way into favor with God but you can listen and obey your way into favor with God through Christ. Will you and I choose the good portion? That question haunts me. There are so many preachers that served their way out of the pulpit. And they sacrificed everything even their own soul, just to have some success in the world's eyes. Will you and I choose the good portion? Will you and I choose the one thing that's necessary? There's a farmer. He went out to sow some seeds. You might have heard of it before, and some of the seeds fell on a path and were quickly eaten by birds. Some of the seeds fell on rocky ground and dried up because they didn't have any roots. Some of those seeds fell among the thorns and were choked out by the thorns. And some of those seeds fell on good soil and produced a fruitful crop. The parable that Jesus shares in Matthew 13, the seeds represent the word of God that spread among the people. And some hear God's word and they die. Some hear God's word and they live. But listen carefully to the words of Jesus as he explains part of this parable in Matthew 13, verse 22. As for what was sown among the thorns, 
This is the one who hears the word. The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. And guess what that word cares is also referencing in the Greek. So yeah, it's, it's, it's worry and anxiety. If Martha, with all of her good intentions, only knew how dangerous she was actually living in that moment. It's possible. According to God's word, it is possible that your constant anxiety over the cares of this world will become the reason God's word is choked out of your life. Filled with the cares of this world. Even if they're really, really, really good things to care about. Filled with anxiety over the things of this world could be the reason you're not sitting at the Lord's feet. Don't be anxious. Sit at the Lord's feet and listen. That's our summary point. The one place we need to be the most, the good portion. Let's pray together. Thank you.